Kiora, and welcome to Walking the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the shadowy realms of the unexplained, of the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. Your hosts. I'm Marianne. Thanks so much for joining us today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. Sit back, relax, and let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and see what awaits us there. Hi everyone, back in season one of this podcast I did an episode on the Moiho Man, New Zealand's equivalent to the North American Bigfoot. I tried in numerous ways to contact Australian groups who studied the Yawi, their equivalent of Bigfoot. I was unfortunately unsuccessful. I was pretty gutted about it because as our countries are so closely tied together, I felt it would be a great opportunity to share about this subject on the one episode. However, very often our disappointments and frustrations can bring about even better things, and so it is in this case. Now, throughout the world, there are stories and legends of huge, hairy, ape-like creatures that have persisted over the centuries through retellings of cultural myths and legends and of actual reported sightings of such creatures. These beings go by many different names. In North America, they are called the Sasquatch, or the more common name of Bigfoot. Across the ditch in Aussie, as I've already mentioned, they are called the Yawi. In parts of Asia and the Himalayas, they are called the Yeti, or the Mete. In Mongolia, they are called the Almas. In Sumatra, Orang Pendek. In China, the Yurin. In the jungles of South America, they are called Mapingori. In the episode transcript, you can see a link to a page that has a huge list of names for this creature worldwide. A huge list. So you can see that this being goes by many, many names throughout the world. This season, I thought I'd try once again to contact anyone over there in Aussie who'd be willing to talk about the Yowie. So I sat down and wrote an email to Dean Harrison of the Australian Yowie Research website, which is linked from the episode page. And then I got on working with the signs from the other side episode. To my pleasant surprise, I got a lovely email from a delightful gentleman who, as it turns out, is a pretty well-known Aussie author and Yowie researcher, Tony Healy. He agreed to share with us all his experiences of interviewing hundreds, and that's no exaggeration, of Yowie witnesses. So, are you ready to return with me into this part of the Shadowlands and see what awaits us there? Then let's begin. Since 1969, Tony has investigated a wide range of unexplained phenomena in every state and territory of Australia and in many other countries. 
Since the early 1980s, he's collaborated with fellow researcher Paul Cropper on many projects, notably in co-authoring Out of the Shadows, Mystery Animals Australia in 1994, The Yowie, In Search of Australia's Bigfoot in 2006, and Australian Poltergeist in 2015. Until the 90s, Tony was concerned mainly with the world's many super-elusive, apparently uncatchable cryptids, yetis, sasquatch, yaois, lake and river monsters, out-of-place black panthers, phylocenes, etc. However, his focus widened to encompass all manner of even wider and even more wonderful phenomena, such as UFOs, min-min lights, ghosts, little people and Blessed Virgin Mary apparitions. In 1998, after a series of fortuitous coincidences, he and Paul found themselves embedded in the amazing Humpty Doo Northern Territory Poltergeist episode. That mind-boggling experience was the genesis of their third book, Australian Poltergeist. During all of his travels through the wide, wide world of weirdness, however, the mystery Yowie has held a special place in Tony's heart. So, with Paul, he's focusing once more on the shambling Aussie ape man. They are working together on the Yowie file, which contains scores of recently discovered eyewitness reports dating from the early colonial era. After that one's published, Tony hopes to live long enough to finish his long-neglected book of memoirs, working title Monster Safari, an account of his 40-odd, very odd years in this arena. I'm so thrilled to welcome my guest, Tony Healy. First of all, Tony, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. So the first question I have for you is this. Can you please tell me what got you interested in the subjects you cover in your books, most notably the Yowie, which is the Aussie version of Bigfoot and New Zealand's own Moi Ho Man? For those listeners who are not in New Zealand or Australia, and that is over 60% of you all, you may not have heard of the term Yawi before. Yeah, well, um, I didn't hear a peep about the Yawi until about 1973, which seems strange because um, in the decade up to that, throughout the late 60s, I'd worked in virtually every area of Australia, well, every state anyway, every mainland state, and later on I worked in Tasmania, didn't hear a thing about the um, Yowie, which is um, kind of um, seemingly very, very similar to the American uh, Sasquatch. But um, I was working in um, Canada on a a working holiday in uh, 1969-70, and uh, I was uh, working in a logging camp up there the top of Pitt Lake in British Columbia. And um, some of the uh, my uh, workmates mentioned the Sasquatch it would come up, you know. And I slowly realised that they were um, apparently taking it fairly seriously. And uh, I thought, gee, that's pretty uh, weird. Anyway, sometimes I'd stay in the logging camp on the weekends to save money. And uh, I'd get my little plastic camera and toddle off uh, around the um, trails in the forest thinking there'd possibly be something like this up here. And Anyway, um, 
when I got back to Australia in late 1970, I uh, got a couple of books on the Sasquatch. In fact, I started corresponding with John Green, who wrote several books on the Sasquatch. And I, I got quite obsessed. I, I got books on the Yeti, the Himalayan Yeti as well. And I thought, gee, I've got to go back and I'll go to um, North America and I'll go to um, the Himalayas. And I'd been interested in the Loch Ness Monster for many, many years since I was a kid. Right. So I thought, I'll go to Loch Ness as well. So um, I started planning this round-the-world trip and I saved up for actually two and a half years and then went uh, right around the world for two years, almost exactly to the day for two years and uh, visited, um, oh, about... 12 or 14 lakes that had Lake Monster legend and uh, looked for the hairy ape men in North America, Himalayas and down in Malaysia and also in Andros Island, Bahamas. Uh, and uh, But just prior to going all the way around the world looking for these other things, I didn't realise that Australia had a Bigfoot legend. And I, I was only just starting to uh, compile a very slim file on it in 1978 when I went overseas for this big trip. But when I got back, I met other researchers like Paul Cropper and uh, then started to interview people and uh, finally uh, interviewed a couple of hundred people who have seen these things. Uh, I shouldn't exaggerate, probably about a hundred. Um, we've, we've collected uh, probably 400 eyewitness accounts and uh, I've interviewed about a hundred people. Paul's interviewed at least that number. So that's how it happened. And then we wrote a couple of books on the subject. So how did you feel when you first heard about the Yowie in Australia? Did that like make you feel really excited or did that perhaps make you feel that these creatures had a worldwide connection? Yes, well, it was sort of a funny thing. At first I thought, oh, no, no, really, don't tell me. Don't. But people are saying they see these things in Australia because at that time I, I thought, well, if they exist in North America and the Himalayas, well, that's tricky enough. You know, I mean, it's just possible they could exist in those vast forests of British Columbia, say, and Alberta, and then in the Himalayas. But I thought, in Australia too, you know, how could this be? So I, it took a while for me to take it seriously. And, uh, but there, there is definitely a very, very strong belief amongst the Aboriginal people in Australia about these, um, uh, creatures. They call them by various names, the Dulagal and Thulagal and uh, Baba, uh, Jarawara, uh, many different names. And so we've interviewed many uh, Aboriginal people uh, since the 1970s. So, but it is strange and it makes you wonder really how on earth you could have a population of presumably thousands of huge big ape men in Australia, also in North America, also in the Himalayas, also apparently in, in Russia, 
and uh, the uh, you know, Southeast Asia. So and in New Zealand and and yeah, yeah. I mean, and I mean, I actually even before I'd completed my one year in North America, seventy eight, seventy nine, I started to think. These there's something uncanny about these things. They're um, they're, they're supernatural or paranormal. And in fact, the uh, American Indians I spoke to and uh, my research pointed in that direction. Uh, the Aborigines, they, uh, I, I guess, as you know, Australian Aboriginal people are very spiritual people, mm-hmm. and for them, there's a, a very blurry line between what is flesh and blood and solid and what is from, well, for want of a better word, another dimension or the spiritual realm, you know. Right. So um, they, you know, they've said things to me like, well, you can chase these things. They're real, but but you'll never catch them. You can't right. catch them. They're real. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, so that's essentially what the um, – North American Indians were saying as well, and uh, also the Sherpas uh, up there, they were saying pretty much the same. It, although uh, my experience in the Himalayas, it, it was a bit more sketchy than elsewhere because, you know, you have to walk for numbers of miles just to find someone who's apparently seen a Yeti, and if they're home, you know, they might be over the other side of a mountain. So I only interviewed about, um, was it four, three or four people who'd seen Yetis, one, one European guy. <coughs> and um, so my impression is they, well, they're so absolutely scared to death of them, the Sherpas and the other tribespeople. Uh, to me, it points to the supernatural there too. Right. So with the Aboriginal people, and in fact, all the native people you've met and spoken with. So they have the idea that the Yowie or Yeti or Sasquatch is an interdimensional creature like that can come into and out of this dimension when they want to? Yes. Well, uh, one American Indian guy used exactly that terminology to me. He was a policeman uh, at the, it was, uh, from the Miccosukee tribe in, in, in Florida. I went there to inquire about uh, what they call the skunk ape. Right. They said, yeah, these they seem to turn up here every 10 years or so and they'll, they might kill a deer or they'll be seen, they might, you know, be seen near the houses and then they'll go back out into the Everglades, in the Everglades. Uh, one fellow, the um, village chief, Bobby Tiger, uh, he'd, Backed his car out of his driveway and bumped right into one. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, yeah, and he was he was the one who said, "Look, have fun looking for these things, but you'll never catch them." Yeah, almost exactly the same words I was told by Australian Australian Aboriginal. But um, the the local policeman uh, Don Osceola, uh, I spent the evening with him, uh, just sort of patrolling around, and um, he said, "Look." Our word for these creatures is, our term for the creatures is yati wasagi, which means disappearing man or different man, something like that. That's interesting. Yeah, he said essentially what we're saying is they they come and go. They, he's saying essentially 
you know, they're, they're interdimensional. That's the feeling. So that's definitely my feeling. I mean, so a lot of President Yowie reports, I would say at least 30% of Yowie reports have something distinctly weird about them. Right. You know, yeah, you know, strange floating lights or, or the creature just disappears uh, inexplicably. You know, might, it might run behind a tree, but the tree's not really that huge and then it doesn't come back out, you know. Right. Uh, this occurs in North America too. Uh, and then there's other stories of them. Uh, the witnesses say, well, it just vanished, you know. I looked away or I looked at it and it wasn't there. And, and people get terribly, terribly scared, more frightened than you would logically expect. Right. I mean, if you saw a big ape, you might be a bit scared, but these people, the terror stays with them sometimes for decades. Wow. Yeah, scary. I wonder if that's because of the energy put off by these creatures, but actually what you said leads into a question I was going to ask you later, but I'll bring it up now, and that is, have you noticed that there's a link between the Yowie or Bigfoot sightings and UFO sightings in the same area at around the same time? Yeah, yes, yes, I have, yeah. Yeah, I... I noticed that quite early in my time, my my second, my big expedition in America, some of the younger investigators were saying, look, this seems funny, but every second time we go out to investigate a sighting, someone's talking about UFOs or floating lights as well. And some of the older guys, you know, like Rene de Hinden um, or um, Peter Byrne or um, Don Green would say, oh, rubbish, you know, it's... Well, these are these are people you should you can take any notice of, right? But um, American Indians told me the same thing down right down near Bluff Creek, you know, where the the term Bigfoot was more or less coined, and um, you know that that's actually see in daylight these silvery craft um, over the Klamath River. Uh, so um, I heard that all over the place. Um, also, I don't know whether this will ring a bell with you. I know you have these things in, in New Zealand. Yes. But one thing that, that I was struck by is that I went all over Canada and the States and in six different locations people said, are you interested in that other thing we've been seeing around here? And I said, um, oh, what? Now, after a while, I knew what they were going to say. They said, oh, these black cougars. Oh, that's interesting. Panthers, you know. And I said, oh, that's funny. And, and of course, I, I checked, and there's no such thing as a black cougar. They don't come in black. That, that's out. But people would say, but they must be because we see them here. And on, on two occasions, they were seen on the same farms in the same fields where Bigfoot had been seen. Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, and acting unlike any cougar or wild big cat would act, you know, just sort of casually looking past them. Um, and then uh, you may not be surprised to learn that when I got back to Australia and started uh, investigating the Yowie thoroughly, it turns out that there are an awful lot Yowie witnesses who have also seen Black Panthers. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Either 
within a few days or within like the next day or possibly, you know, months or weeks or even years uh, different. But, but still, it, it's beyond the laws of chance that so many Yowie witnesses would have seen these Black Panthers, which, of course, Black Panthers and big cats don't exist in Australia anyway. Wow, no. Yeah. That's the first time I've, I've actually ever heard of that. Mm-hmm. Of course, in New Zealand, we have our own big cat sightings. Mm-hmm. There's a big black panther that's been seen, mostly down the South Island, but there's also a puma-type big cat that's been seen as well. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I, I spent a bit of time in New Zealand um, in uh, 2013 and uh, 16, and um, I was down at Canterbury running around. Uh, there's some very good stories and excellent witnesses. Right. Yeah, um, I didn't hear of any link between the Black Panthers and the Mohau down there, though. No. So, in fact, I didn't hear much about the Mohau at all. I, I interviewed uh, two guys uh, one guy and his mate saw a like a six foot tall air covered creature, like a bipedal, like a you know, like an ape man uh, near um, uh, near Palmerston North. This was seen near Linton, which which is just south of Palmerston North, by a couple of guys in um, twenty uh, December twenty fourteen. Later on, I realised that um, they'd seen it just at the foot of the Tararua Range. Right. Maori say was a used to be a uh, abode of the, the hairy man. Great, yes. That was interesting. And only a day, a couple of days before that, I talked to a guy, Paul Braxton, who told of a, um, a really hair-raising experience he had in 1965. Yeah, Paul and uh, a mate, they were only kids, were chased by uh, an eight-foot-tall, sort of roughly human-shaped creature at uh, New Plymouth. Now, this, as Paul says, this is pretty weird and pretty counterintuitive because it was 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 on the beach in the town. Wow. In the town? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He might be prepared to tell you about it sometime. The fear and the, the absolute sort of after effect of it has stayed with him ever since for 50 years. Oh, wow, that's, that's a long time. Yeah. He, uh, he took me out there uh, and showed me the, the spot on the beach there. Mm. His, his childhood home was just around the corner from the beach. Right. This was at night and, uh, again, a um, strange light featured in this. A strange light was approaching from the sea and uh, he and his mate were saying, oh, what's that? If that's a boat, it's going to crash on the rock. And closer and closer and closer and closer, and they realised it wasn't a boat. And then this great big giant thing burst out of the scrub on the bank near the water and chased them and uh, scared the living daylights out of them. I was just um, trying to uh, reach over here. Um, I got the manuscript of the latest book. I could refresh my memory about some of these cases, you know, would be sick. Oh, yeah, that would be great. Uh, here we are. Um, uh, we've divided the um, cases into the ones that occurred prior to 1974 and the ones that have um, occurred afterwards. 
just for uh, ease of because we have to keep throwing the manuscript backwards and forwards from Sydney to. Right. I was thinking of a, a lady I interviewed just uh, recently. I was thinking um, I could, uh, Paul says, oh, why not? I said, what about uh, we somehow send Marianne the sound file of a couple of the interviews? That would be great. It would be awesome if I could use some of your interview. I know my listeners would love to hear it. Yeah, yeah, well, um, I don't see why not. One from 2018 was, was a good one. This is um, uh, Tony Healy uh, talking to Jeannie in Western Australia uh, on the 3rd of July 2018. Uh, yeah, okay, Jeannie, it sounds like um, you um, you got a good look at that thing. A b- big creature, was it? It was very big. It was like what the uh, photos are like on the internet. Um, it was creamy in colour. Right. Uh, we... We've got an Isuzu D-Max and it was a lot bigger than our car, so um, it was just quite tall. My husband's here as well, Jim, and uh, we both saw it and all the hairs on our arms and that all raised when we saw it with an auto. It was scary. Yeah, I can imagine, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so uh, the location was um, uh, what you were going from Perth through Meckering towards Dowran, eh? And um, had you had you, you you'd exited, you'd left Meckering, had you on the road? Or yes, it was about five five or ten k's in from the Meckering turn off to Dowran. Uh huh. It wasn't that far in, and it was when we saw it, it was looking into the paddock at the sheep in the paddock. Yeah, geez, I wonder if it was thinking of grabbing a sheep and taking off. Well, that's what I thought. I did ring up the Shire and let them know what we saw and how we saw that it was, you know, looking to attack the sheep. Uh-huh. Did, did they, um, at the Shire, did anyone sort of um, act surprised or um, did they have they heard of anything like that? No, they hadn't heard of it before. The area you were going through, was it scrubby or forested or open? Uh, open. open. It's like wheat belt, it's wheat belt country over here. Uh-huh. It was all open. Gee, so I was wandering, uh, wandering around. Uh, where would the nearest um, forest be, do you think, or mountains there? Uh, we don't have any mountains here. It's all flat land. Um, yeah. All through this area is flat land. It's like Uh huh. Yeah. So, would there be any state forests within Kui of where you are, or where you saw it? State forest. Uh, there's trees, but not much. Not much. It's a bit curious. It might be old and um, senile like me. It might have wandered off. But um, uh, so. I would normally found in the forest, 
are they? Well, yeah, or or close, close to um, forested, hilly, forested or mountainous areas usually. But you know, there there are reports from way out in the um, desert too, like um, in 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 WA and Northern Territory. But um, because there's fewer people, I think um, fewer, you know, there's fewer sightings. Um, but the Aborigines all over Australia know about them, um, so it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. But so um, now, read up on that. Um, I, I had a look at Aboriginal, especially in Kalgoorlie area. There's been mm-hmm. quite a few sightings around there of oh. Aboriginals. Could you um, perhaps uh, just go through um, quickly what you um, what happened uh, again? Uh, like how far away from the thing you were, and uh, what speed you were going, etc. Okay. Okie dokie. Yeah. Well, we weren't travelling that fast because we were travelling at night. Uh-huh. And uh, my wife doesn't like um, me travelling fast at night, so. Sure. Um, we've been travelling down um, the, the Meckering Down Road probably for about oh, 10 or 15 minutes. Uh huh. And um, I had my. Um, I got the. LED uh, big spotties on the front of the car, so they light up everything. Oh, great, yeah. And um, as we were travelling along, and, and we saw this thing on the on the side of the road um, stirring up into the paddock, and, and this thing would have been, as tall as the car, uh, it would have been probably um, a good 15 feet tall. It was... Uh, Way bigger than a man, just, you know, the, the arms and the legs and torso were just huge. Yeah. And, and it was a, um, it was, uh, I don't know, like a grey, grey in colour, like, light, light in colour, um, and, um, and, uh, we looked at each other and we thought, oh, what the hell was that? Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and my wife said, uh, let's go back. And I said, uh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't tempt fate. <laughs> um, you know, sure. this creature was big. Really yeah, was. yeah. Hey, did you uh, did you just say you thought it was 15 feet tall? Or did you mean 15 feet from the car? Or No, well, I mean, you know, like, I mean, I... I well to the left so I mean it wasn't that far from the, from the car it would have been probably about three or four feet from the car when we passed it yeah. um, I would have only been doing probably about 50 or 60 kilometers an hour so I wasn't really going that fast because it was late at night and um, it, it was a road that we don't travel down much and, and um, I thought we'd just try it so we're taking it quite slow and easy and we got a good look at this thing as we went past. And yeah, I mean, when you consider the size of my vehicle, well, the size of my vehicle, it's, um, you know, six foot tall, um, you know, about my head height or just over six foot. And, and, and this thing was way bigger than that. Oh, right, right. <clears throat> Still, um, 15 foot is like really, really huge. I mean, you, you'd think. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, um, I mean, it might. Maybe, you know, I may have seen, but I mean, okay, maybe 
it might have been, you know, um, seven or eight foot. But I mean, you know, you know it, it was really, really big. Jeez, man. You know? Wow. And how about in, in up, terms up, of... Up, uh, against, up against the car, you know, it looked it look really big up against the car. Wow, right? yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and, you know, uh, something like that, you know, um, I mean, I don't scare easy, but, uh, you know, something like that, you know, I wasn't going to turn around. For sure, for sure, yeah. So I gather it was on the left-hand side of the road, like looking left, yes. was it? Uh, so, yeah, yes. you, would have, you would have passed it pretty close, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was on my wife's side, and and and, and you know, uh, and she was almost right next to it. Yeah. Wow. You know, that's yeah. what I seen, right? Yeah, and with those brilliant um, lights you got. Um, geez. So, yeah. so, um, and how about in terms of um, like its shoulder width and um, you know, general build, you know, yeah. the shape of it. Yeah. Well, when you when you look at um, you know, uh, you know. People saying, you know, he's, um, oh, this guy's shoulders were like axe hand, you know, uh, an axe hand of width. Well, you know, they'll yeah. broader than that. Oh, right. So, big bugger. Yeah. Yeah, it was huge. <laughs> Jeez. And uh, did you notice... And, and the, length, the, the length of the arms were really long. Uh-huh. And the legs. So, his torso was quite long. Um... The hair on the body was quite long. Did you see uh, any detail of its hands or feet at all? No. Well, my wife did, but I mean, I was driving, so, I, you know, she probably got more of a look at it. Ah, yeah, and how about um, the shape of its head and, and neck and so on? Um, his neck was all covered in hair as well. I've seen pictures mm. on it on online. You know, it looks a bit like the, you know, um, of uh -huh. the yeti. Oh, the yeti, yeti. Oh, yes, 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 yes. 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 Yeah, yeah. 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 It seems but like it, yeah. It was just really scary all over, and his arms were like uh, he had his arms hanging down, but they were really long. Uh huh. Uh, and, yeah, because uh, I thought a better look at it because I was like it was on my side sure. so I saw it and I was, it was huge it, you know Jim was saying it was seven foot it was a lot bigger than seven foot it was just massive mm -hmm. it was, wow. and the width of it was really wide uh -huh. as well Jeez. yeah so the head it had wide shoulders a sort of a smaller head um, but it, it was all hair mm -hmm. yeah yeah. Have a very long neck, but yeah. 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 No, that's that certainly certainly answers the description of um, that we've heard many times of Yowie. So, yeah. So the the it, I gather you didn't uh, see its face, or you know, it was turned away from you slightly, was it? Or? It was looking into the into the sheep, into hmm. the paddock where the sheep was, so it didn't. Yeah. It didn't turn around or anything. Oh, yeah. Jeez, it was playing it pretty cool, wasn't it? It um, it didn't seem to be scared of you. No, well, it looked like it was going to go and pounce some of those sheep. You know, it was, like, more yeah. interested in the sheep. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, Jenny, so you saw its arms. Did you sort of manage to see any of its hands at all? or? Um... It had, like, black in its hand. Ah, black. So uh-huh. his hand, the hand was facing back to me, mm-hmm. but his, his arm was down, his hand was facing back, and it had, like, black, black pool. Ah, right, right. Like, so... you know, black. Hands. Black sort of on on the on the palms of its hands or on the back of its hands or I suppose palms. Palms, on its yeah. yeah yeah well that that um, agrees with what we usually get told too the skin is usually a very dark black to brown colored skin yeah wow mm, that's, um, gee that was uh, that was really something so. So you saw it, well, oh, was it a straight stretch of road, like, um, or, or did you come around a bend and then see it, or what? No, straight, straight, uh-huh. straight. Yeah. Uh, but we had the high beams on, on the light, so, yeah. and we have, like, our bodies on as well. Yeah. LED bodies, so it was crystal clear. It was like, it lights up the night as daylight. Yes, oh, so yeah. Very crystal clear when we saw it. Yeah. Oh, you got to have those sort of lights out there with all those roos around, haven't you? So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, gee, we look, live in uh, Gavin, so we were coming back home late at night. It was about two o'clock in the morning. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Gee, I tell you, what, that's 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 a really good sighting. Stephen Kelly had three sightings near a town called Broke, New South Wales in uh, 2015, 2016 and 2017. Wow, three, three sightings. On the same stretch of road, he reported the um, sightings to Australian Yari Research in Harrison's site in May 2017 and uh, Paul Cropper went up to the town of Broke and interviewed Stephen and his daughter later that month. Anyway, the first sighting was uh, between um, 9.30 and uh, 9.45 p.m. on the Broke Road, and this may have been significant. This may ring a bell with you too. There was a very large thunderstorm storm happening. Thunderstorms seemed to crop up, well, not all the time, occasionally, suspiciously, in, uh, at the same time as um, Yowie reports. And this part of the road where he saw, where they saw this thing was also crossed by um, high tension wires, you know, right? Electricity wires. So that that too tends to crop up. Mm-hmm. People often see yowies in the vicinity of um, um, electrical lines. Um, anyway, um, they. Um, he said, uh, we were coming down the hill and there was this thing standing slap bang on the left-hand side of the road right next to the bitumen. I spotted it and thought, oh, a kangaroo, but it wasn't a kangaroo. It didn't move. And I thought, that's pretty big. And my daughter said, what the hell is that? Uh, and then it stepped back into the tree line, went back maybe a metre and uh, would have been about three metres from the car as they, as we went past. It was uh, extremely tall. The head and shoulders would have been way above the roof line of the um, all-wheel drive. 
Uh, I looked straight at it. I could see that it didn't move away, that it turned to face the vehicle. So that was the first sighting. He said uh, we had a very good look at his torso. If it was a human, you'd say it would have been on steroids, very muscular mm. chest, very wide shoulders, uh, one and a half times my chest size easily, three feet across the chest, really wide, not much of a neck, big muscly shoulders with no neck. So uh, dark hair, a lot of dark hair all over the chest and the body. Second sighting in uh, June uh, 2016, coming down the same road, came down the hill again. I took my foot off the accelerator because there were kangaroos about. There is an old dam down the bottom of the hill. This was 5.30pm, not dark, and I could see this yowie very clearly, plain as day. Now, on that occasion, it was um, just walking away from the road towards the dam. The third, third sighting was not so definite. It crossed the road in front of the car when uh, his wife was in the car. To see him in the same area so many times, well, I'd be scared to go down that road, frankly. Uh, yes, yeah. But I think, uh, of course, Paul didn't, um, you know, you hesitate to suggest this to witnesses, but... I mean, a lot of people drive that road um, from time to time. Why should this man see Yowies there three times and most people never see them? Right. I think he's probably uh, a little bit psychic. Right. I think a lot of lot of witnesses who have repeated sightings are a bit or very psychic. I think I agree with that, actually, yeah. Perhaps I could tell you one story off the top of my head because I, I know it very well because I met the guy and uh, it happened in 1979. This fellow was um, 15 years old and he was a uh, uh, working on a cattle station, Ardmore Station, uh, west of um, Mount Isa, very, very isolated area. Uh, there were Aboriginal and white stockmen and um, huge, huge property, you know, hundreds of square miles. And they were um, having lunch. They were just sitting on the ground um, eating their lunch. And there was a, um, a, a vehicle, one of their vehicles was behind them. And there was a, this is a rather sad bit, there was a, um, a, a, a dog there, only a, not much more than a pup. And it was tied to the wheel of the, um, the vehicle. And um, they were talking and looking the other way. And all of a sudden, the dog started shrieking. And they turned around. And there was a, a five-foot-tall ape man, uh, not heavily built, but just covered all over with hair and, and doing the old ape man slouch. And it was staring, this dog, which was going absolutely nuts. And this was just very close behind them, just like a matter of um, 20 feet behind them. And they could see it clearly. It was right there. And the dog just suddenly just dropped. And, um, and this, um, this creature didn't look, didn't turn its head to look at the men. It just walked off, walked and run, just walked off out of sight. 
And the Aboriginal guys, when, when everyone got over their fright, the Aboriginal guys were yelling out, Chunjari, Chunjari. And the guys are saying, what the hell? And they went up and the, the dog was dead. Oh, wow. This thing had frightened it to death. And horrible. The Aboriginal guys uh, tried to track the um, Chunjari uh, and they could for a while, but then the tracks, they just lost the track. It, again, is very, you know, an often story. Right. Anyway, um, uh, the Aboriginal guys said, um, oh, you're, this is very unusual. You know, we've seen them before. Now people see them, but white people hardly ever see them and have it right, broad daylight right behind them like that. Shortly thereafter, the, the old guy who um, was in charge of the horses had left the property. So this guy at the age of 15, was put in charge of all the horses. Uh, when when they drove all these hundreds of cattle from one part of the property way, way down to the other part, he would have to uh, take the horses uh, either, uh, I think, ahead of the herd and, uh, you know, 50 horses, big job for responsibility for a young guy. And uh, he'd have to take them for miles and miles and miles and then take them down, make camp, get everything ready, and then the other guys would turn up. Anyway, uh, he had to go through this place where they'd seen the Janjari. And uh, anyway, he said uh, he went through and the horses were all skittish and um, he felt the hair on the back of his neck going up, you know, which is, a, again, an often mentioned feature of Yowie reports. And uh, it freaked him out. Th- thereafter, uh, he... In his life, he had um, a couple of odd experiences. He saw a couple of UFOs in another area. Oh, they used to see Min Min lights there too. Right, right. And floating spook lights. But that, that area is noted. That, that's practically um, Min Min uh, headquarters up there. Sorry to interrupt, Tony. Yeah. Can you please explain for listeners who aren't aware what Min Min lights are? Well, what um, they call in some areas uh, jack-o'-lanterns or um, spook lights, you know, these lights that people see at night and they're, they're about, you know, they, they're from golf ball size up to um, basketball size and they, they're around uh, uh, and fairly close by and then... When you try to approach them, they go away or they blink out and then they, they, they appear somewhere else. And there's many stories about people getting lost by trying to follow them through the, the scrub. The Aborigines have various legends about them being a fire stick carried by the ancestors and that sort of thing. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, but there's a fine line between Min Min's and UFOs, you know. <laughs> yeah, very fine line. And actually, Australia's not the only place I've heard of. If where people follow the lights, they get lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or it leads them into swamps or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, yes. In the UK, they, they have that story, yeah. don't they? The uh, Will of the Wisp. The Will of the Wisp, yeah. Yeah, it's a funny thing. He, um, This fellow um, mentioned one other very odd occurrence. He said, now, he said, look, I can't remember if it was exactly the same day or a day or two later, but no further apart than that. 
he was with the the stockman and the um, boss of the homestead turned up with their mail and he said there was a letter from his mother in closing a, um, a magazine article. He thinks he doesn't know from what magazine it was from, something that was currently in the 1970s. And she said, you might be interested in this. There's a funny story from Ardmore Station. And uh, the story was that there'd been a, um, uh, a group of uh, surveyors or linemen or something. They weren't cattlemen, but they were workers and they were sleeping in tents on Ardmore Station and two men were sharing a tent and uh, this um, Greek guy was grabbed by something in the middle of the night, Some, you know, like a hairy hand grabbed him by the ankle and had to drag him out of the, uh, out of the tent. Actually, that sounds quite familiar. I think I may have heard that experience before. Yeah. Or read it somewhere. Yeah, well, um, I haven't been able to find the newspaper article, the magazine article. You know, I've tried Googling it and everything, but, but he, he said, well, you know, this just seems so outrageous because something, I mean, they'd just seen a, a hairy man. Right. And and then, you know, within either on the same day or the next day or the day after, this letter arrives from his mother. Yes. Interesting timing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, I forgot the guy's name here. He's, he's still uh, on the land. So, um, yeah, and there are many, many other stories. Uh, I um, interviewed a lady, uh, Mandy, I'm pretty sure her name was, who um, uh, saw a um, about a five-foot-tall yowie beside the road just north of Roma in Queensland. Okay, so your name's Mandy, and this occurred, I understand, um, just recently, just, a, what, a week ago or something? Um, yeah, it was actually um, last Wednesday morning, so just over a week ago. Wow. It was probably about two in the morning or something like that. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. And uh, you were driving along very slowly because of all the roofs, eh? Yeah, well, they're not really big roofs. They're like little grey roofs, and some of them are really tiny. So, you know, I'm just sort of mindful of the wildlife because um, there isn't quite a lot of respect on the outback roads for wildlife. Sure. So, um, yeah, and travelling, um, you know, in the dark, you just like to be able to stop and let them pass or... You know, yeah. I was probably going about 40 k's an hour on the road. Right, so, right. Yeah. Oh, okay, and what was the, um, I mean, were you travelling through forest or um, open country there? Oh, no, I just kind of, I just started to go in like this foresty area. Uh-huh. And um, and as I've looked back on a map, it's a, there's a particular little forest area um, around there. Okay. Um, yeah, I should yeah, check. That, uh, I should check. About uh, 30, 35 out of Roma. Yeah, there's a little state forest there, and then there's a large one further along. And as I've looked back through the road, you know, like I said, it might be 15, 20 k's, but it, it appears to be about 30 k's. So I could have been actually there. Okay. And there was a lot of trees, and a lot of the uh, larger trees were like dropped to the left side, like the road was built up, and. Um, yeah, it was just slightly elevated to the right, the tree, as yes, I'm driving up. Oh, uh-huh. 
Okay, and um, I understand uh, from your email that um, you, you saw this form on the road, and it, it appeared to be uh, crouched. Was it? It was. Um... Well, it was. Um, it was quite like I had my eye being on. You can see quite a distance along there, and I thought, oh, gee, this is a different colour for a roo. You know, it's quite dark and big. And I thought, because where I come from, we get quite large roos down around Anglesey, so. Um, I slowed right down, and um, as I'm getting closer, it's like I stood up, and it's just like staring at me, and as I'm getting closer, it's getting more sort of Albany shiny, you know, um, or uh, really Albany colour, and it's just standing there, um, you know, staring at me like a would, you know, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what is that, you know, um, I have a condition where my senses shut down, so I didn't feel the fear until a couple of days later, you know, Gee. yeah. All oh, right, and uh, um, so when, when, it, when it was looking at you, uh, was there any um, eye shine, you know, like uh, with some animals? Oh, it was very shiny as the light, as I got closer with the lights. Yeah, absolutely. It was quite shiny. And it was very hairy, and I actually couldn't see a face. It's like its hair was about, or oh, maybe um, 10 or 15, maybe about 10 centimetres long. It was like it was all over the hair. Oh, yes. But, uh -huh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it was yeah. just like... Yeah, it was yeah. like all, all over it. Yeah, like it was um, like a, a junior. It gave me the appearance of something that was younger. Oh, yes. Oh, right. Do you know what I mean? Like a yes. younger dog or a younger, um, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're sort yeah. of fluffy, like a, right, like yeah. a, a polar bearish type of hair. Yeah, sure. Um, hey, as Jenny, as yeah. in appearance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What I meant before was um, uh, when you had the headlights on, were, yes. were its eyes reflecting? I couldn't see any eyes reflecting, no. It appeared that um, either its head was looking down if eyes are to be seen and the hair was not... It seemed to be like I couldn't see any facial features. Oh, yes. Uh -huh. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. So it was sort of looking at me just straight on. You've seen the, um, the, the, the sketch. So, um, you know, whether its head was, like, looking down or whether, mm. um, you know, I, I couldn't yeah. see any shiny eyes at all. No, there was no reflection at all. Yeah. No. I and I guess what I did, as I got closer, um... I turned the high bed down because I didn't want anything to jump in front of me because that's what I do. And then I and I slowed right down to about or oh, 15 k's an hour to have a good look. And I thought, oh damn, because as I drove out of Roma, I had no um, battery on my phone. I only had about 15 left, and there was no and there was no um, like what would you call it? Um, no um, bars on my phone. I thought, oh well. I'll flick it off for a bit and I'll save it till I get to the next town and see if I can get some reception, oh, you know? Sure. And then as I got closer, I thought, oh, I've got to stop and take a photo of this. And then I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, if it is junior, I mean, maybe it's got others. <laughs> I didn't feel safe. You know, I started to think, no, it's the wrong thing to do. Yeah. You know, and I started to think, oh, my God. And I kept driving up a little bit further past it. And I thought, do I turn around and go back and take a photo or... You know, it's just extraordinary. It's so 
beautiful, you know? Yes, Such yes. an amazing creature. And I thought, you know, because I've seen um, the Black Panther in your ways. Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, with a friend of my son's. Um, so I thought, you know, um, I just had... I thought, what is it? What is it? There must be some information about what I can see, what it is. And, um, uh-huh. yeah, I, I thought, oh, you know, it's something, you know, but it's not something that I've seen before. And uh, uh-huh. I was just standing there looking. It didn't move from side to side. It didn't run. It just stayed there. It appeared to be looking towards me. But like I said, I didn't see any facial features, so... I'm thinking maybe it had its head looking down or something. But yes. there was um, a dead room, a little small dead room on the side of the road. Right. And I'm just wondering if it was down there um, eating or... Because um, I know with my dog, if I start it with something, it'll just stop. Yeah. Before it before it goes, oh, don't come near my food or... And I was thinking, you know, if this is in the wild, it could be wild, you know. And I thought, no, it's just not safe to do that. It's not safe to stop. But I probably saw it for about, oh, oh, I say good 40 or 50 seconds because I've slowed right down as I've gone past it and had a good look at it and thinking, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Just absolutely incredible, you know. And, um, you know, I'm confirmed that, you know, it it does exist and what I saw was real and um, I'm blessed to be able to see it. And uh, I then then decided to keep on, I mean, actually it was about 500 metres past and there was a, a small kangaroo, probably about two thirds the height of my car, which is a Volvo um, XC sixty, and it was sitting there. It didn't seem to be hit by a car, but the side of its face was hanging out. Oh God! And I, and I felt I felt prompted again to stop and help it, and I said, "There's no way in hell I can get out of my car here because I'm not far from where that happened." And I thanked my living stars when about, um, oh, probably or another three or four minutes up the road where I've gone back up to about 40 k's, I saw a truck coming along and I thought, well, you know, it's probably going to, um, you know, put it out of its miseries. But I stopped very close and very slow to it and thought, how can I help this animal? But mm. there's no wildlife numbers. I, that, don't know where to take it, and I thought if I'm going to go out there, I don't know if I'm going to be safe. If that had appeared to be young, I was about. I initially thought it was about four, four foot tall, but it could have been about four and a half. Right. Yeah, five yeah. foot tall. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. So, so just just so, backtracking, uh, Mandy. Um, yeah, yeah. So the dead roo was on the shoulder of the road or on the edge of the road, was it? And where? It was beside it. When it was facing me, because I'm travelling on the left-hand side, there was a road. It was just slightly, slightly to um, the right of its body, that little dead wood. So the the, oh. the yowie oh, creature w- would have been standing just on the edge of the bitumen, would it? It was just on the edge of the road. Yeah, it was just to the just to the right of where the where the edge of the road is. So it was on the edge oh, right. of the road, on yeah. the opposite opposite side, not on my side. So when I drove past, I looked straight out my window and had a good view, like within two meters away, very oh, close. Extremely interesting.
Sounds like you had a bit of an experience there in the Richmond Range, eh? Did you know that area recently well? Uh, no, I, I don't actually. I know that um, we've had a lot of um, uh, Yowie reports uh, from uh, Woodenbong, just north of um, Richmond yeah. Range there. Yeah, well, yeah. Woodenbong's not all that far away. Uh-huh. Uh, now, look, Tony, I'll tell you what happened. What uh, happened was... Uh, not this immediate weekend, it was the weekend before. Mm-hmm. So what happened was um, I, I've got a property near Boona and uh, so we drove down to uh, we drove down to Casino and then went up the Bruxner Highway and you go out of Casino about 40 k's going west and you get up to the top of the Richmond Range mm-hmm. um, and you go into a national park there for about 20 k's and you get to a really nice uh, cottage which is... Uh, it's up uh, in a cleared area on the range, uh, Kaikuya grass, uh, really nice little bloody off-the-grid cottage. Yeah. So uh, we stayed there for a couple of nights, Saturday night and Sunday night, and uh, it's, it's very isolated. It's 20 k's in from the Benjamin Road. Um, there were two guys on motorbikes the entire time, trail bikes that went past, uh, the only people that we saw in 48 hours. And uh, it's very, you know, it's just in the middle of bloody nowhere, fabulous views and all that stuff. Anyway, on the bloody, um, on the bloody Sunday night, um, there was quite a strange bloody noise. I'm sure you've heard, I'm sure you've heard possums and koalas with that very loud grunting sort of noise. And I'm sure you've heard cattle... Uh, I, I'm a farmer, and especially bloody cows, when you've separated calves from them, they'll bellow all night. Oh, yeah. Now, it, was, it was nothing like that. It was nothing like that. It was a sort of a bloody moan, um, a moany sort of a noise. And it sort of spooked Sue and I a bit because, you know, we thought, shit, that's a bit strange. I wonder if there's someone there, you know? Yeah. And uh, I've got a... And it went a couple of times. There are a couple of these quite loud, low moans. Anyway, uh, I got out with my bloody, uh, I've got a very powerful torch, you know, it lights up to about 500 metres. And I went out in the veranda of this place and just went right around because it's in the middle of the bloody paddock. The, the nearest trees would be, oh, shit, 150, at least 150 metres away on one side and then they'd be bloody hundreds of metres away on the other. So, uh, and there was no, nothing, there, were, there was no stock there, there were no possums, no bloody, there no trees there, so there's no possums, no koalas, none of the bloody normal things. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's bloody odd. Anyway, um, in the morning we left, and we left the place about 8 o'clock. So it's a forestry road, a well-graded forestry road, but, you know, I was taking it bloody easily along there, and just came out of a patch of really deep, bloody primary rainforest into that open bloody eucalypt stuff and then bow here's this you know a a fleeting figure running across the road and i thought um shit what's that and i immediately said sue hey 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 you see that and uh, she said what what and i said oh bloody someone running across the road and uh anyway we pulled up and uh it was all over in a Oh shit! You know, a couple of, like from my perspective, driving. Uh, I was watching the road pretty carefully, but then 
Yeah. I definitely saw this play figure move run across the road and then into some light, light eucalyptus forest. But I distinctively thought, how strange is that? Because I saw what I thought was an arm going up the brush up branch or something away. Anyway, we pulled up and had a look around um, and uh, couldn't see anything and uh, couldn't hear anything. I switched the car off, couldn't hear anything. And that was about, oh, we reckon it was about 20 past eight, half past eight in the morning. Um, because we left that bloody joint at eight and it took us about 40 minutes to get the 20 k's. It's pretty, it's a pretty average bloody track, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of what I've got to report. Um, oh, and the bloody smell. The smell, the smell, that's right. The smell at that bloody, um, on the night before, the Sunday, the Sunday night, when I was outside, I could definitely smell something. Um, there was definitely a, a smell, of, like a, a bad BO smell. Um, <laughs> Like, like someone hadn't had a bloody shower for a few days. Yeah. Um, we, uh, like there's showers at this place. Um, um, there, there's no evidence of, like, you know, there's no rats there. There's no bloody possums to get into the garbage bins or anything. But I, I did go in and I said, hey, see, there's, you know, it's really bad. There's, there's a feedlot across the road from us on another property back at Boona. And oh, yeah. I thought, oh, it smells a bit like that. Oh, um, that's bad. So, yeah. yeah. So, look, that's all I've got to bloody report, you know. Oh, it's pretty interesting, David. No, that's, uh, <laughs> it's got yeah, a few... Yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm a reasonably sensible guy. I've got, I, I do a fair bit of shooting on my place here. We had feral dogs and cats and all that sort of stuff. I've got a lot of ruse on my place, a lot of wallabies, so it, it, it didn't fit that bill, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, like if, you, if you see a bloody, if you see a kangaroo, they've got a bloody big tail that bounces. Wallabies have got a very long tail that keeps straight. Yeah. Um, and I didn't see a tail. I definitely did not see a tail. Mm-hmm. So that's, and it wasn't a bloody koala. It was, it was, uh, it was too big for a koala. Uh, and, and yeah, and, and height-wise, I reckon, um, as I said in that uh, thing to Dean, I reckon it was about the height of a, uh, like a, uh, a child, or like about, I don't know, maybe about five foot. I, I probably should have gone, because I, I got a reference against a couple of little trees there. Mm-hmm. Probably should have gone and measured that, but I didn't. So, yeah. but that's yeah. yeah. Color wise, um, color wise, it was again a brindley color, um, not a bloody not not the color of a kangaroo, um, not 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 the not the light. You get those rufous wallabies up there. There's those redneck wallabies. It wasn't that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, did you say? Um, did you make a guess at uh, the distance in front of the car, the range it was? Uh, yeah. Look, I'm sitting in my office here. I reckon it would have been probably about probably about fifty. 50 meters, forty meters. Oh, that's pretty close. Yeah, that's pretty close. I mean, uh, and, and, yeah. And I, where I saw it, we were going down the side 
this road follows pretty much along the top of the range and as it goes around a few spurs, there's some quite the very steep-sided things and we just come off one of those and I was, you know, I was seriously watching the road and then when I actually picked pick this up, um, uh, probably, probably the, the figure was uh, going off the track, going off the track. Um, it, you know, I, I was watching the, the bloody side and I just flicked yeah. my gaze up and then I saw, holy shit. And yeah. So probably the middle of this track, 15 metres, 20 metres, 20 metres, you could see into the bush. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And uh, okay, so it was, and it was, it, it was, uh, it was uh, fairly upright, uh, was it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Not a uh, like again, not 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 like a like a roo or a bloody wallaby at full speed. They got their heads down, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, and that that's and it was the it was the sort of breadth of it that. The, mm-hmm. um, that, that, that sort of caught me too. Like it was quite wide, like a imagine across the shoulders or the body. Because oh, um, right. kangaroos and wallabies and things that they're pretty bloody small, really. Yes. Yeah. And I thought, yeah. yeah. And I thought, this is a bit, this is a bit wide. And I'm looking at it uh, like you know, it was going from my right to my left, and I'm looking at it at an angle of initially probably an angle of about. Then as I closed up to where it crossed the road, yeah. um, the angle would have changed slightly, but I was probably looking at it, in all honesty, at an angle of probably about 40, yeah, 30 mm-hmm. to 45 degrees. All yeah, right, yeah. And uh, so did you, um, I know it was, uh, you know, fairly fleeting, but you, you, you know, just a few, few details there. Did, did you sort of register the shape of its head or uh, anything about its head or shoulders? No, I, I, I didn't. I didn't because I saw what I thought was an arm going up to brush this bloody branch away. Uh-huh. And, I, I, and this road's relatively bloody dangerous, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I, 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 you know, I, I, and I drive an XR6 Ute, so I, uh, I was going pretty slowly. I was probably doing about 20, 25 k's, you know. That's about oh, yeah. the max you could do on this bloody road. Right. And uh, so... You know, I saw it and I yelled out to Sue and said, look, yeah, look, 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 look up there, mate. And then slammed, oh, I didn't slam the brakes on, but I pulled up on my gravel. Yeah. And then everybody uh, turned the engine off, but you couldn't hear any crashing noises, you couldn't hear any noise of, you know, something going through the bush, which you sometimes do with oh, carers. Sure. Yeah. And stuff like that now. yeah. So your first remark to the your wife was, uh, you thought maybe it was a, a, a bloke who went across the road, or so it was. Yeah. It was sort of human, roughly human shaped, I gather. Is that right? Yeah. And I said, did you see that? You know, I went, no, I missed it. And I said, well, shit, it just ran across the road. I said, I reckon it's a bloody yowie. She said, oh, shit. And I said, no, no, seriously. Yeah. I said. It's not, it wasn't hopping, blah, blah, blah. I said, it wasn't a bloody koala. It wasn't like that thing at Black Pinch, blah, blah, blah. So that mm-hmm. was the conversation. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Now it uh, sounds like uh, it, it ticks. It ticks uh, several boxes, you know, for the Yowie. I mean, the smell, that that revolting smell, and the the weird moaning. Uh, you know, we've heard that before. Uh, and then just the you know the the man-like shape and running like buggery across the road. I mean, uh, oh, did you notice uh, sort of particularly the legs at all, or? Um, no, but I, I got I, I definitely had an impression that it was that there were legs, um, mm. like not not legs like a kangaroo, yeah. um, but more an upright. And the other mm. thing was the colour. It was like a brindle, uh-huh. a brindle sort of brown. Right. Um, and that that was the thing that sort of shook me a bit. There was a fellow um, near in Queensland, uh, near the, if you heard about the Canungra jungle training area in Queensland, it's um, just in from the Gold Coast in the jungle area there. Right. We have several stories from around there by uh, soldiers and um, also civilians who are driving along on the roads, fringing the um, the uh, the uh, they call it the the Canungra Land Warfare Centre. Anyway, um, there was a, a fellow there um, uh, who um, this was quite recent, um, and uh, he he was uh, driving in broad daylight, uh, driving a truck. He just uh, dropped off a load of stuff, and uh, he came around a, a, a corner, his truck, and um, he thought, oh, there's a there's a, a mass of logs or something rolling onto the road. That was his very first impression, uh, a lot of debris or something. And then, then he realised it was um, this huge big hairy creature and it stood up and he was practically honoured. He'd hit the brakes, <clears throat> came right up close, so close that um, the thing was standing with its chest virtually against the um, bonnet of the truck. Wow. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> he told he told this story quite cheerfully. It was on in the media here in, um, after after Dean Harrison uh, interviewed him. And um, uh, he, um, this thing um, uh, sort of thumped the front of the, um, of the truck and and uh, he said <clears throat> it was almost comical. It had three expressions across its face. Uh, first off was shock, and then um, uh, anger. Uh, I forget what the third expression was. It um, it just thumped the front of the truck. It it did um, bend the top of the bonnet slightly, uh, and it turned and and walked off. But he said it was. Really, really huge, you know, like twelve feet tall. Wow! And uh, and big with it. He did uh, a couple of uh, nice sketches of the face and uh, so on. And um, he initially didn't want his name used or anything. He was at first he didn't even tell his wife, not not for a day or so. And then then he did. And then um, he um, he mentioned it to a couple of the other truck drivers, and and they. To his surprise, they, they didn't laugh. They said, yeah, yeah, some of the guys say they've seen like that there. And um, so eventually he went public. But um, uh, the, uh, we'd, um, 
we'd, we'd interviewed another guy, um, uh, Mr. Cook, uh, who um, saw one in almost the same spot a couple of years earlier. And um, in that case, it had uh, run across the road just in front of his truck, pretty close. It was virtually the same spot. When you're interviewing these people, Tony, I guess you're very aware of their body language and demeanour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you've most of these people you've interviewed, how do they appear when they're talking about their experience? Because usually when you're talking about an experience like that, you tend to feel those feelings again. Yes, yes. Um, uh, yeah, well, a lot of them relive the, um, the terror. No? Um, they often say, oh, the goosebumps are coming up on my arms again and the, the hair on the back of my neck is is, uh, is standing up, just recalling it. And as far as I'm concerned, um, 95% or more of the witnesses are clearly telling the truth. Right. There might be a small proportion that fantasy prone or who might have been perhaps mistaken, you know. But that's why we like um, multiple witness counts. So uh, I think uh, in our book, Yowie, we had 300 reports and I think 100 of them were more than a single witness. Right. And around 50% of the sightings are in daylight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that reduces the chance that people are mistaken. Right. And, of course, the similarities in the, um, in the reports over the course of 150 years too, uh, there's striking yeah 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 so in australia australia is geographically such a huge huge country Uh where would you feel that most of the sightings tend to be based like are they towards the coast or Mm. are they towards the center of australia Uh, well most of our uh, reports come from the eastern seaboard you know within Mm. uh 100 kilometres of the coast or 200 kilometres of the coast. Right. There's the coastal area, the coastal forests and mountains, the Great Dividing Range and uh, what they call the western spurs of the Great Dividing Range. So from right up Cape York, right down into Victoria and around. But there are reports and there is a lot of Aboriginal Yowie law from way inland as well. Right. It's just that, as you know, in Australia, only a small fraction of the population lives in the inland, mm. in the outback. There's, you know, the vast majority live east of the Great Dividing Range. So where there are more people, I suppose, there's more people who might see them True, true. That's a valid point. I know I was at Uluru about a year and a half ago and the distances, I can't get my head around the vastness of the place. It was just beautiful. But while I was there, I was thinking, man, this would be such an easy place for something like the Yowie to hide away from people in. Yeah. so vast. Sure. Yeah. Yes, and and there are stories. You get we have a few reports from um, the Northern Territory and the inland, uh, and the uh, some Aboriginal law. But see, if if I'm right, you know, I got this outrageous idea that I admittedly share with a lot of people that there's in some way paranormal. You know, they could appear anywhere. I suppose. Um, True. Uh, they they seem to be in honestly. Uh, 
identical. They seem to be exactly the same creature that they have in Canada and the States. There's, there's very little difference between the Australian reports and the North American ones. The Himalayan Yeti reports, well, there's a lot fewer reports, so it's hard to tell. Same with down in Malaysia, very similar, but and New Zealand uh, too, um, you know, it's, it's hard to say. It's mainly Maori law, isn't it? Well, there's been a number of sightings over the, you know, like this past century, there's been a lot of sightings. Yeah. And mostly the ones I've seen certainly correlate with what you say. Mm. You know, ape-like figure, tall, sometimes there's an obnoxious smell with them. Oh, right. Oh, I, I haven't, haven't heard that. I, I um of course, I only scratched the surface in, when I was in New Zealand. Right. That story that you recorded by that, that lady, was she Maori? I assume she was Maori. Yes, yes. Yeah. As you know, the elements in that were very similar, the feeling of being watched. Yes. That, that is very common. People feel that something's watching them and then they turn around and lo and behold, there's a hairy ape man. And that other detail she mentioned, the thing pacing the boat right. by keeping up with the boat. That's so common of the Yowies coming along beside a track when people are walking down the track, the Yowies just a little bit back and just just pacing them. Pacing them. Or, or keeping up with cars, you know, uh, running along beside cars. So I was very struck by her sighting. That was great. That was the lower Wanganui, right? Yes, correct, yes. That was fascinating, fascinating. Of course, there's a lot of Maori law around that area about the Moiho man. I can't remember if that is the term the local iwi or tribe use in that region. Different regions in New Zealand have different names for it, but, yeah, that was a really, really interesting account, I thought. It was a good one. It was a good one, yeah. I remember when I was about six, must have been about six or five, we went for a school trip. I went um, used to go to a little school that's down near Wanganui River. And we went for a school trip on the riverboats to go and see the bridge to nowhere because it's a pretty long walk inland, so it's only half an hour walk from the river. And at the time, my uncle, he was running um, a business with the riverboats, and so he took our school up there. School's only about 10 kids. And so it wasn't like, you know, thousands of kids trying to take them up a river. Well, anyways, we went up there, and I don't know, I just had this really eerie feeling like someone was watching me. And I kept on saying to mum, because mum came, and I kept on saying to mum, mum, there's someone in the trees watching I can feel them. I can't see them, but I can feel them watching. And mum's like, oh, don't be silly because, you know, you don't want to scare your kids. You know, she totally believed me, though. I could see that she could believe me. I'm pretty sure she could feel it too. And um, and I kept on saying to my uncle, I said, there's somebody in the trees watching. He goes, yeah, no, don't worry about it. it you know, it's fine. It's just in the trees. And well, anyways, we went up to the Bridge to Nowhere and it was fine when we got off the boat and went up and had a look at the Bridge to Nowhere. And it's really beautiful up there. I re- totally recommend going to have a look. And um, and well, anyways, we were on our way up. We we're back in on the riverboat, and um, I could feel this thing watching, and I could like see it sort of 
like running in the trees following the boats, following the boats down because we were going really slowly because it was in the middle of summertime and and so the river was quite low, so the bottom of the boat was scraping along the rapids and so we're going really slowly to not punch a hole in the bottom of the boat. And we anyways, um, I could see this this hairy gorilla-looking thing running along and it was black and, I don't know, I just felt really uncomfortable about it. Like, I just didn't want to stop. We just, we couldn't stop. And I kept on telling Uncle... And I was holding on to him and squeezing him for dear life. I said to him, you can't stop this boat. And we got a bit stuck on a rapid. And I said, don't stop, don't stop. I was freaking out. And anyways, this thing was standing there just looking at us. And we got the boat going and it was just absolutely, truly terrifying. And my uncle saw it. My mother saw it. I don't know about anybody else. I don't think they saw it, but. Um, uh, yeah, it was only because I could see it and I noticed it and it was, I know, it just felt so freaky. I just, yeah. I didn't like it, its energy. I didn't like the way how it was running after us. Uh, yeah, it just felt like that was protecting something and it just really didn't want us to be there. Yeah. It was really tall, like, oh, like the tallest person who I know it's like six foot, it was taller than them, what I could see, what I remember. And I don't know, I just remember him, it had like black fur and oh, I don't really remember much more. I don't, I don't really remember its face. I was just a little kid. I just remember just being, just the feelings I had about it. That I was actually really terrified and I didn't want it to come anywhere close to me. As I said, my knowledge of the know-how is, is not that great, but my friend Paul Cropp is a great researcher. And before I went to New Zealand, uh, he uh, went, Googled everything he could and uh, dug up a lot of those um, reports by the early colonists. And all the stories say that there's these Longanui that will grab people out of canoes. And right. so I, I tried to go to as many of the areas as I could when I was there. Uh, but, I, you know, I never found, I didn't, I spoke to quite, well, few um, Maori and never spoke to a Maori who knew anything about the Hairy ape man. Yes. But I knew there must. There must be some. Mm-hmm. I was actually doing an episode. It was the big cats that got me started on it. <laughs> right, there you go. And then it got me into like the moiho, the patipaarehi, which are other New Zealand fairy folk. Oh, yes, yes. The tanifa, which are our... Oh, yeah, lake spirits, river spirits. Yeah, monsters that live in the lakes. Guardians, some call them kaitiaki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you've written three books and you're working on a fourth book. Is that correct? Uh, yes, yes. Can you please tell us about your books? I know one of your books is currently out of print, which right. is a real shame. I was looking at it online and it had such good reviews and people were saying in the comments that, why can't you bring it out in digital format or get it reprinted? Yeah, we should. It's awkward, you know, um, dealing with a big publisher. Uh, mm. If it was the fellow who did our second book, 
uh, anomalous books in in the state. Patrick Huey, he's a friend of ours, and he you know reprint anything we ask. But uh, yeah, the first book that was 1994 that was out of the shadows, mystery animals of Australia, mm. and uh, as you gathered, it's uh, we have half a dozen chapters: the series Big Cats, uh, the um, the Yowie, the water monsters, the Bunyip. The Bunyip's comparable with our Tanifa here in New Zealand. Yeah, 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 a lot in common. Uh, yeah, and um, the um, Tasmanian tiger, you know, does it exist Tasmania and does it exist on the mainland? And the, uh, what was the other one? Oh, the Queensland marsupial tiger cat. Is that a thylacine? Thylacine is the Tasmanian tiger. But uh, this... This striped cat-like thing from Queensland was described as being, well, just like that, like a small tiger. Anyway, um, so that was the first book. And then the second was Yowie, In Search of Australia's Bigfoot. That was 2006. I think really that's our best book. That is, we devoted so much time and effort to it and we documented 300 reports. Wow, that's a large number. Yeah, yeah, all the possible explanations and the Aboriginal law that we do. Uh, so we're proudest of that. Now, the third book was Australian Poltergeist, um, which um, we wrote because we had a, an experience with a poltergeist infestation in the Northern Territory in 1998, the um, Humpty Doo episode. Um, and... Um, we, uh, we, we, as they say these days, we were embedded in the um, in the house with with the people for um, five days. Oh, wow. so, yeah, they were very good. They said, "Yeah, stay here if you like," or you know, we we, we stayed there one night and, and had a cabin around the corner. Uh, but we went there every day, and we saw a lot of phenomena that couldn't be explained naturally. There were objects appearing in midair and. Coming seemingly coming through the um, the ceiling and coming out of walls and uh, flying around, so we uh, became interested in poltergeist activity big time after that, and uh, we collected fifty other cases, eighteen forty five through to um, uh, modern times, and uh, so we compiled them in this our third book, Australian Poltergeist. Then. Got the idea of doing a second book on the Yowie, incorporating the hundreds of additional cases that um, we got onto, largely through Jim Harrison, uh, Australian Yowie Research, and sort of floundering around with that book for the last oh, gee, five or six years. Um, and it's we keep getting distracted. Uh, I'm also um, uh, keen to finish my memoirs uh, because all the different things I've looked at over the years. So because, um, as I keep saying, I'm 74 now and friends of mine are dropping off the twig, you know, everywhere. Um, uh, I'd, I'd like to just get it all down, you know. Yeah. I have the manuscript um, largely written, but um, it needs a, needs a lot of work and attention, so I'd like to get to that. I can understand that. And like you've been doing this for over 40 years mm-hmm. and obviously it's been a consuming passion for you like it is for me. I mean, 
I absolutely love this. I got into this when I was about, oh, I don't know, 13 or 14. I first heard about spontaneous human combustion, which is my episode that just played a short while ago. Oh, sorry, what one about? Spontaneous human combustion. Oh, yeah, that's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. So your goal is to finish this book you're working on with Paul Cropper. When do you think you might possibly have that finished by? Well, gee, I'm 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 going through a bit of a sort of period of semi despair about it. Um, I don't think we'll get it done this year. I'll be seeing Paul uh, in a couple of weeks, but um, I reckon probably mid next year. Mid next year, it'll be ready for the publishers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony, thank you very much for your time today. It's been a very very interesting chat. I'm sure my listeners have enjoyed it as much as I have. So thank you very much for your time today. Oh, thank you. It's been very enjoyable. A pleasure talking to you, Marianne. Yeah, talk to you again uh, soon. episode we've heard of a number of people's experiences in encountering the Australian Yowie and of course those barely barely scratch the surface of the experiences he has heard. I encourage all of you to go out and check his books out they're beautifully written and if you have an interest in this subject then so worthwhile adding to your collection. I realise that this episode is much longer than normal one, but Tony is such a fascinating gentleman to talk with, and he was kind enough to share these interviews with witnesses with us that I felt it was worthwhile doing the longer time frame. Whether or not you believe in the existence of the Yowie, the Bigfoot, the Moiho Man, or whatever other name this being goes by throughout the world, these witnesses and experiences can certainly make us all question our current understanding of whatever may coexist with us on this beautiful world of ours, and in my opinion, that's not a bad thing. This episode's bumper music is called Goddess Dance by SackJo22. Licensed under Creative Commons. For more information, check out this episode's page at www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. If you have any suggestions for topics you might like me to cover in upcoming episodes, then please don't hesitate to contact me. Or if you, any of you have any questions, suggestions or any comments that you'd like to make or experiences that you might like to share with myself or my audience, then just email me at shadowlands at yahoo.com. Check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, our Instagram feed of the same name and our Twitter feed at shadowlands10. Like and follow for hints on our upcoming episodes.
If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a positive rating and don't be shy to leave a written review on your chosen podcasting platform or on the podcast Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands. Who knows, you may hear your review read out at the end of one of these podcasts. And of course, so you don't miss out on any episode, make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms. If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website, so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also. The more, the merrier. Thank you so much for listening today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. We'll see you in two weeks' time. Thanks for listening. 